For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. My dear sisters and brothers in Christ, the greatest burden a child must bear is How would you finish that statement? Maybe your mind goes to all of the challenges that you faced as a kid, or maybe the the challenges that your children are facing right now, or your children faced years or even decades ago, and because of your experience, there might be any number of different answers that we could use any number of words or situations that could be used to finish that statement. But here's how Carl Jung, a Swiss psychiatrist, finished his quote. The greatest burden a child must bear is the unlived life of their parents. And you've seen this, haven't you? We call it living vicariously through our kids. And up until about a week ago, I thought the parents who did this were utterly ridiculous. That is, until last Saturday, my son had his first t-ball game. And then I got it. In that moment... I was reminded that it's not enough for us to simply help and guide and encourage and love our kids. No, they have to be successful. They have to be prosperous. They have to finish on top. They have to do more and accomplish more than we ever did. They have to be more than we ever were. Not just because we want all of those things for our kids, but because it reflects on us as parents. To the degree that we convince ourselves that their success is our success, and their prosperity is our prosperity, and their victories are our victories. Conversely, their failures are well, we can't let them fail. We won't. They're our second shot at a better life. And where we failed, they have to succeed. And that is a burden no child can bear. But what if someone could? What if someone actually invited you to live vicariously through them and it actually mattered? Instead of just feeling like their accomplishments were yours, they actually were yours. All of their success, all of their accolades and victories were given and credited to you. More than that, 
What if all of your failures they took? Relived those experiences and those moments and where you failed, they succeeded. So that the report card, the trophy, the check actually had your name on it. What if someone could bear the burden of living your unlived life? Enter Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus returns from the Jordan. This takes us back to really the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Jordan is where Jesus was baptized. And immediately from his baptism, we are told that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And be honest, what what are your thoughts when it comes to those temptations that were presented before Jesus? Isn't it easy to kind of hear those temptations as kind of being something far out there? They have really nothing to do with us. I mean, if you're going to live vicariously through someone, then they have to experience the same things you do. So that again, where you fail, they can, can succeed. But I've never been faced with any of those temptations that Jesus encountered in the wilderness, and I'd be willing to bet that you haven't either. Turn these stones into bread. Thought has never crossed my mind to try. Go gain earthly glory by bowing down to the devil. Wouldn't even think of it. Jump off the top of this really high building and see what God does. You'll be lucky if you can even get me to the top of a really high building. But when we think of these things that that tempt us, the more down-to-earth things that you and I deal with on a day-to-day, in our day-to-day lives, the more common and down-to-earth things, we each probably have our own lists, don't we? The list in our mind of the things that truly tempt us, the, the list of the immoral things that we know God wants us to avoid, and the things that we're probably more susceptible to fall into than others. Things like fits of rage, or being unloving or unfaithful to your spouse, or pornography, or abusing drugs or alcohol, or being hateful towards someone, or not being generous or kind to your neighbor, or stealing time by being lazy at your job. We all have our lists, and and they make much more sense to us. But here's what you need to understand. It was the essence of the temptations that Jesus faced that is the exact same essence when it comes to the temptations the devil brings to you. Because here's what is at the heart of every temptation. The devil wants you to question your relationship with your Father in heaven 
by offering to you an imitation of something good. Maybe even something God has promised to give you in the future. But the devil makes it more appealing by promising to give it to you right now. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to suffer for it. I've got a way to give it to you right here, right now. So what does that look like? Well, Jesus, why wait another second to see if your Father in Heaven is going to provide for your physical needs when you could just use a little bit of that power you supposedly have and you could serve yourself? Just turn these stones into bread. Or, Jesus, rather than waiting to receive all power and authority over all things as a reward for successfully accomplishing the work that you came here to do, why not just take it all now? Rather than trying to wrestle away from me my title, Prince of this World, I'll just give it to you. All you have to do is just give me a little respect. Just bend a quick knee and worship me, and everything that you want to take back from me, I will gladly hand it over. Why suffer for it? Or, you know, Jesus, instead of winning the hearts of your people by dying for them, why not win those hearts now, pain-free, by instead of dying, doing a death-defying stunt in front of all of Jerusalem to witness. They'll have no choice but to instantly crown you as their hero and king, and bonus, it'll give you a chance to prove that you are God's chosen Messiah. A chance to prove how much your Father in Heaven loves you when He sends His angels to save you in such a dramatic fashion. Just jump. See what happens. You see, though the specific temptations of Jesus might look and sound different than what you and I are used to, the essence of the temptations Jesus faced is the exact same. The devil wants you to question your relationship with your loving God and Father by offering you a cheap imitation of something that looks like a good gift from God and the devil's appeal is if you will only listen to him, you can have it right here and right now. Rather than waiting patiently and sometimes even painfully for the blessing to come from God himself. And so what does that look like in your life? Well, the devil might come around and say something to you like, you know, the way to make sure that you have everything you need, the way to make sure that you have been a good provider for your family is to ensure, the way that you make sure all of your bills are paid and you achieve the comfortable life you desire, the way to make sure that you have all of the essentials in life and 
Just a couple of those things you don't really need, but you really, really want. The way that you do that is you make sure to use all of your resources in life to serve you and no one else. Forget your offerings to support the work of the gospel. Forget helping those who are less fortunate and in need. Forget all of that and just worry about you. Or ways that, you know, you think now it's, it's tax season and how easy it is to fudge a couple of numbers, save a couple of bucks. After all, the IRS has got such big, bigger fish to fry than you. Or the devil says the, the way to find true love and passion in this life, the way to experience strong feelings of affection and sexual gratification these days is not by limiting yourself to one person for the rest of your life. Good grief, that went on a style decades ago. It's not found in the satisfaction that you can only have after decades of living together and decades of being with someone who has seen you at your worst and yet still loves you. No, instead, you can have all of the things that you are longing for right now. Love and affection and gratification in such easy ways. And with as many people who will have you. Or, the devil says, you know the way you make a name for yourself these days? The way that you gain notoriety in this life is to focus all of your time doing the things that people see and making sure that you are striving to be great in all of the ways that this world truly values. So be great in the classroom. Be great on the athletic field. Be great in your career and then push those priorities onto your kids so that they think the same way. But the way to not make a name for yourself, the way to not gain notoriety these days is to do the things that people don't consider all that important and the kind of stuff that no one will notice. Like serving a complete stranger or loving your neighbor as yourself or making your greatest priority time spent listening to God's word and speaking back to him in prayer. No one sees that, and no one really cares. So why waste your time doing it when it will get you nowhere in this life? The essence of the temptation Jesus faced is the exact same essence when it comes to the temptations the devil brings you. And why would the devil change? Why would he change his tactics or his weapons when he's undefeated? It's worked all the way back with Adam and Eve, and it works still today with you and me. And the point of all of this is to say, is to not say, okay, so we haven't been perfect at overcoming temptation in the past. We just need to buckle down and try a little harder. No. The point is to say that the only hope we have in overcoming the temptations of the devil is to live vicariously through someone else. The point is that Jesus takes our failure and makes it his responsibility. 
that he is out in the Judean wilderness facing the devil's temptations for us. But when there, where is this invitation from Jesus? This invitation for him to be our vicarious one. Jesus overcomes and defeats the devil's temptations, yes, but how do I know that his accomplishments and victories really are mine? Well, go back to the beginning of the text. At the beginning of Luke chapter 4, remember, Jesus had just been baptized. And why was Jesus baptized? Do you remember? Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he says, I need you to baptize me. And John tries to deter him and says, Jesus, I don't think you know how this baptism thing works. You are the one who should be baptizing me. But Jesus says what? We must do this to fulfill all righteousness. This was Jesus taking his place in line with the rest of sinful humanity. He was showing himself to be one of us. He was quite literally standing in our place. As true God, Jesus is righteous. So for whom does he need to fulfill all righteousness? You. Me. The world. And of the three Gospels that mention Jesus' baptism and Jesus' temptation, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew and Mark go directly from the baptism to the temptation. But if you would open up your Bibles, you'll see that there's some stuff between the end of Jesus' baptism and the beginning of his temptation in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 3. It records one of those sections in the Bible that you and I get to and oftentimes maybe just roll our eyes, skip over, because it's filled with people we don't know and names we can't pronounce. Luke records the genealogy of Jesus. And why? Luke records all the way back. He traces Jesus' human ancestry from his earthly father, Joseph, all the way back to Adam. And what is Luke making abundantly clear? Jesus has come to be numbered with them all. So that what Jesus does, he does on your behalf. Luke wants us to know that Jesus goes out into the wilderness as one of us. To, as true man, to fight the devil on our behalf and on behalf of all mankind. This is the whole point for recording the well-known story that we heard this morning in our first scripture reading from 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. It's to show us that already a thousand years earlier, God is willing to allow one to go to battle and fight and win the victory on behalf of many. Historians called it representative battle or championship battle. And I wish we still did like things like this today. The armies would get together, and instead of sending out hundreds and thousands of men to battle, knowing that there could be hundreds or thousands of casualties, they each picked their greatest soldier, their greatest champion. 
And they went and they fought one on one, and everyone agreed whoever wins takes everything. But isn't it fascinating that even as David goes out to battle this this soldier, this giant, this, this massive man that he has no business doing battle with, David knows that he will win the victory and that victory will not be because of him. That the Lord has chosen the most unlikely soldier so that there would be no doubt who accomplished the victory. It was the Lord's. And because the Lord won the victory, the victory belonged to all of Israel. At Jesus' baptism, he stands in the place of all sinners. So that when he goes out to fight, you know that he fights and he wins the victory for you. And what weapon does Jesus use to fight against the devil? Not power or weapons that he only possesses as the true Son of God. He fights and defeats the devil with the very same weapons and power that have been given to you and me as human beings. First of all, Jesus goes out into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. He goes not by trusting in his own strength or power, but with the power of the Spirit, the very same Spirit and the very same power that was given to you at your baptism. And the weapon Jesus uses, he defeats the devil by using only the Word of God. And not the Word of God that comes out of his mouth, because everything as true God that Jesus speaks is the Word of God. No, He uses the very Word of God that long ago was recorded and preserved on the pages of Scripture. So that He would use the very same Word of God that has been given to you and to me. Jesus goes to battle as true man in order to win the victory for all mankind. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our champion. You know, you can tell when someone is living vicariously through someone else when they start to change their language and they start using more plural pronouns. Things like we and our. We got a really tough game coming up this week on my son's t-ball schedule. I don't know how we're going to win, but we're going to have to try. What's interesting is we we look at that language and we listen to people talk like that and maybe, like me, you think they sound utterly ridiculous. And maybe to a degree it is. But understand, brothers and sisters, that this is exactly how the Bible encourages us to speak. Because as we heard in our second reading from Hebrews chapter 4, we have a great high priest. And the great high priest was your representative. He was your advocate. He was your mediator between God and all people. And what he said was true for you and what he did counted for you. And we have a great one. The greatest one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our representative. And here's what that means. And if you only take one thing away from this sermon this morning, may it be this. That you are not going to be saved. Your salvation is not going to hang in the balance of whether or not you successfully are able to overcome enough temptations. Because you won't. Your salvation, you will be saved. Because it completely depends on Jesus successfully overcoming temptation for you. And he has. Perfectly. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just like us, yet was without sin. And through faith in him, that perfect status, that unblemished record against the devil is your status, is your record. Jesus makes your failure his responsibility, but he also makes his success your success. He also makes his victory your victory. Jesus graciously invites you to live vicariously through him, the victorious one. The greatest burden a child must bear is the unlived life of their parents. And while your children cannot bear this burden, friends, Jesus absolutely can. And he did. And he will. So that when Satan comes to you and he whispers things like, why would God love you? You always let him down. Every day you fail him. You call yourself a Christian. You sure don't act like it. How could you do something like this again? You can say with all the confidence in the world back to him, Satan, you are right. Today you have won the battle. But 2,000 years ago, my champion won the war. And now you have no claim over my soul. Your salvation does not depend on whether you stand up successfully against every temptation because you won't. But Jesus has. And he's done it for you. And he gave you that victory at your baptism. And he reminds you of that victory in his word and he invites you to feast on that victory in his sacrament of Holy Communion. So remember that when you do battle today and tomorrow, friends. That in every way, Jesus battled and defeated the devil as one of us. He lived vicariously for us. And as a result, he now invites us to live vicariously and therefore victoriously through him. In Jesus' name, amen.